If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. In Conversation with Napoleon Branford is a new three-part podcast series delving into the life of the Wall Street All-Star. Napoleon Branford's autobiography is coming soon. Hi, my name is Jason Allen Jackson, and today I am talking with the man, the myth, the legend that is known as Napoleon Branford. How are you today? I'm doing really good. How about you? I am doing well. I can't complain. Napoleon is the CEO and chairman of his company, MB3 Entertainment, which he is the sole owner of. And he is also the current chief financial strategist for Team Harris LLC. If you know anything about Napoleon Branford, this is just the cherry on top of the many successful things that he has done in his career. But to get a little bit more into him and his life, I wanted to actually talk about your life before all of the success. So where are you from? I was born and raised in East Chicago, Indiana. And so growing up, um, I know that you mentioned that you lived with your entire family like your mom, your brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents, all under like one roof, correct? Uh, No, all in one yard. All in one yard. How do you feel that has shaped you as an individual you are today? Well, I think, you know, it was, um, uh, if I can go in a little bit more detail about the living arrangements, it was sort of like a compound, but not like a wealthy compound, like the Kennedy compound. Uh, My brothers, uh, Dale and Emery, my mother, we lived in the basement of my grandparents' home, Eli Harris Sr. and Alice Harris. Uh, In the back, there was a fourplex, and their uh, four uh, living children were living back there with their their children. Oh, wow. Uh, We had uh, Aunt Rachel, who lived upstairs in the back with um, Anthony and Houston, Downstairs, and Queen lived with uh, Dolores, uh-huh. Sylvia, and Butch. And then downstairs on the other side, uh, Uncle Sonny, or Uncle George Harris, and, along with Marcus and Karen. And then upstairs, uh, sharing a bathroom with uh, Aunt Rachel was Uncle Hughes, was her husband, was his parents, Hugh and Minnie Thomas. So there were like 17 people who lived in the same yard together. And over time, people moved out and people moved in, other relatives moved in, but it was uh, quite an experience because, um, you know, East Chicago was a small town and just in the Cayman section of East Chicago, Mm -hmm. which is 13 blocks, we had 500 relatives that were uh, kinfolk that lived that close together. So when you talk about a village, that was really a village. <laughs> that really, thinking about it, that's truly, that truly is. It was, it was real crazy because I had to ask my Aunt Rachel who I could date because we had so many cousins that were also very attractive and I was disappointed on numerous occasions. <laughs> 
you know, that takes being raised and living with a village to a whole new level. You know the saying. Absolutely. But speaking of your village, who were you closest with growing up? Uh, I was closest to my brother, Daryl. Well, Dar- actually, yeah. Daryl and Emery. Uh, the, my brother, Daryl, uh, I like to call him by his nickname, Buttony. But Buttony. Yeah. He was uh, 11 weeks, I mean, 11 months and three weeks to the day younger than me. I was born on February 23rd, 52. He was born February 16th. Uh, 53. We did everything together from the time yeah. I can remember. We did everything together, uh, except we were a different class. I was a year ahead of him. But we did all sporting events like Little League basketball, I mean, a Little League baseball, uh, in church with, you know, Sunday school. We both were gleaners collecting monies at the church. Uh, we were Boy Scouts together. Uh, we went. We did literally everything together until I left and went to school in Nevada. Except I didn't play football, but he everything else together we did, and uh, it was a, um, a great experience. Except for the one week we were the same age, and that just drove me crazy that I was the same age as my little brother. <laughs> and I'll never forget when I turned sixty. Nine years ago, I finally called, I called him up. I said, guess what, man? I finally got over it. <laughs> <laughs> and he just fell out laughing. He said, you crazy. You should have got over it a long time ago. But it took me 60 years to get over being the same age as my little brother. <laughs> so tell me about growing up and actually playing basketball and developing yourself. Yeah, well, actually, my favorite sport was baseball. Really? Yeah, I, want, I wanted to be a professional baseball player more than anything in the world. And, wow. and growing up, I was like the most valuable player uh, for the uh, Little League team and the Elks team. And my last mm-hmm. Elks, which was like uh, 15 years and younger, uh, I won the World Series with a home run and I batted 750, which was crazy. But, wow. uh, and the coach uh, was the coach of a high school baseball team. But when the season was over with and the following year, I had to, I had to go trial for the team. Uh, he wouldn't let me start because they had two black ball players already on the team whose fathers were prominent, uh, Duke Florence and Pete Ransifer. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I had to come off the bench. And there was no way I was, you know, as good as I was, there was no way I was going to not stay out there and play baseball if I couldn't start. And so I gave up baseball and then I focused 100% of my time on basketball. I, I've always heard about basketball this and basketball that. Like our family has been such a basketball driven, sporty type of family. And so to hear that baseball was actually one of your favorite sports and you were actually so good at it, it's just surprising. Wow. You have to remember that uh, uh, it's a generational thing. Remember, yeah. uh, there were virtually no black basketball players when I was growing up in the league. Oh, wow. And so, but, you know, it was Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks. These were all the athletes that were famous in America. And so that was what most kids wanted to do was to play baseball. Very few wanted to play basketball. And virtually mm-hmm. none played football. <laughs> it wasn't until the mid-60s that we started focusing on other sports. So did you play any um, sports in college? 
yes, my brother Buddy and myself, you know, we were on the state championship team together, undefeated high school basketball team in Indiana. And we were the fourth team in the history of the state to go undefeated. Oh, and, wow. what, and what made our team so unusual is back in those days, there were two schools, East Chicago Roosevelt and East Chicago Washington. Uh-huh. And the Washington was over in the harbor and all the African-Americans in East Chicago had to go to Washington because it was um, segregated East Chicago and all the whites went to Roosevelt. Well, when Brown versus Board of Education uh, came into existence, uh, the blacks from Calumet, they all went to Washington. So my mother, Uncle Eli, Uncle Sonny, and Rachel and Queen, they all went to Washington. And so when we grew up and we started playing basketball, it was sort of like all blacks were loyal to the Dodgers because they jack because they had, you know, that's where Jackie Robinson played. So virtually no other team had any other loyalty but the Dodgers. Well, it's the same in East Chicago. All the all of my parents were cheering for Washington, but the kids went to Roosevelt. So that was a crazy scenario. Oh, wow. Of course, they cheered for us. Yeah. But they, they didn't cheer for the individually, but not for the school. And in my senior year, we were ranked number one in the, in the, in the state, number two in the nation, uh, because there were such big crowds. Our gym only held like 2,500 students or 25 people could attend a game. Washington held 7,000. And so we mm-hmm. wound up playing all of our home games except for one at the Washington gym, including playing them on their home court twice and beating them twice in their own court. And that was a, um, a miraculous event. And that's what prompted me to write my book, Hoosiers 2, yeah. The Road Warriors. Because we're the only team in the history of Indiana to go tw- undefeated and only have one home game. Out of that, a longer version of how I got to college, I eventually won a basketball scholarship. But the way I got my scholarship was unique in the sense that mm-hmm. um, I was all state and I had no uh, scholarships offers except one to go to Pepperdine, uh, which my mm-hmm. aunt, which I couldn't go to because it was in California and it was the height of the Black Panthers and the Similes Elimination Army and all that. And so, you know, too conservative in Chicago let a kid from Calumet to go to, to go to L.A. And so uh, and they just started the draft. And so. This is going to shock you. I went, because uh, I didn't want to get drafted, I went to Roosevelt mm-hmm. University and took a test and passed and got admitted into the computer programming school. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that. With somebody has no technology. But if anybody knows anything about computers, it certainly ain't you. You got it. No. <laughs> it's just not your calling. It's not your blessing. Yeah, but I was going to be a computer programmer rather than go to war. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then from there, uh, so I'd have a basketball scholarship. About a week later, jumping Johnny Wilson, the first black Mr. Basketball in Indiana in 1946, came by the house and just knocked on the door mm-hmm. and asked me, uh, Napoleon, do you have a scholarship to play basketball? I said, no, nobody's contacted me yet. He said, well, you can have a full scholarship for me with me because I'm the new coach at Malcolm X Junior College in the west side of Chicago. And so I, I was a little relieved. I, I got a call. Uh, at least I had something, you know, I, can, I didn't have to go to computer school. 
And then uh, mm-hmm. about two weeks later, a gentleman knocked on the door, and his name, uh, he said, is Mrs. Branford there? I said, yes, who's calling? He said, this is uh, Coach Jack Spencer, University of Nevada. I'd like to offer Napoleon a full scholarship to come play basketball for us. And of course, that was my only scholarship, sort of like Colin Kaepernick. The only scholarship he got was to go to the University of Nevada in Reno. Isn't that mm-hmm. wild? And eventually, when I met him 20 years later, 30 years later, I went to visit my coach before he passed. I said, Coach Spencer, how did you recruit me? He said, Napoleon was very hard. He said, I called the school and nobody would give me your address or telephone number or anything like that. And uh, one of the guys who was the booster from Chicago said, let's just get in a car and drive to East Chicago. And so he drove to East Chicago, asked a few people where we lived, and that's how I got recruited. So just for a good time frame, when did you end up meeting your wife right now, Shannon Branford? I met her in 1975. I was the first in our family to graduate, December 21st, 1974. Then I got accepted into a dual degree program at University of Southern California. And uh, I started on August the 18th, 1975. And that's when I met Sharon, because she had just graduated from UCLA. And she was going to law school also. And that's when I met her on the steps Mm -hmm. of the law school. We met on, on August the 18th, and we got married on May 21st, 1976, mm. nine months later. Um, so also, currently you're working on a book that is on its way to publication. I wanted to ask, why was it so important for you to share your story and life experiences now? Well, I was told by my um, one of my good friends, who is one of the top reporters in the nation, uh, used to be on MSNBC, now he's on um, Fox Business, Charlie Gasparino, said, Napoleon, you should write a book, but you can't write it until you retire because you can't be truthful. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I actually started a year before I retired, May of 2014, and we just finished it at the end of 2020. It was on hiatus for five years because my writer, father got very ill he had to move back to ireland and so it was all it was, everything was put on hold but the reason why i wanted to write it is you know all stories are unique you took a guy from a small town from a working poor family with no father and achieved the highest heights on wall street being the only firm ever to be ranked in the top 10 on wall street and uh, it's a story that uh, need, I felt needs to be inspirational to young people, especially uh, it covers, you know, the political growth of our country in the sense that my clients were the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the United States and the 23 largest uh, states. And so it basically covered all the urban areas in the country. And so I, it gave me a great feel for the nation, its complexities, and how uh, what is perceived to be uh, progressive and conservative in a lot of ways is just the opposite. And that's one of the things the book lays out for people. Well, 
truthfully, I cannot wait to get further into it in part two and part three, but I do want to just acknowledge and thank you for your legacy, your hustle, your drive, and your ability to continue through adversity. And I think that this is a great book that I can look towards and say, you know what, if he did it and he set his mind up and he set time to do the things that he was meant to do and God called him to do, so can I. And so for that, I just thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I also appreciate you not using a word that I despise. What was it? Pioneer. <laughs> you hate the word pioneer. Why? Because pioneer means you old. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Yeah, so legendary and all no. that. I like that. But pioneer. And I was actually told by my client, uh, he's actually my friend who worked for me in Seattle. He's like, he just turned 88. And uh, we used to go down to the Olympic State Capitol. And they have all of the historical figures in Washington. And they had a title put by uh-huh. called Pioneer. And he just like hated that. He said, man, that makes me old. <laughs> so I like legendary. All the things you came up legendary. with. Legendary. A pioneer. That is old. You got to call them legends. Legends, yeah. Icons. You got it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you for this part one. All right. Thank you. On the next episode of In Conversation with Napoleon Bradford. Like an investment banking. You can be any kind of investment banker in the world you want to be today. All the opportunities for international equities, commodities. When I was growing up, it was only municipal bonds. It's all you could be, nothing else. And now it's wide open. And so I don't understand why the kids feel, to me, it all goes back to being wanting, wanting to be liked rather than recognizing opportunities out there. Napoleon Bradford's autobiography is coming soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.